if our greatest need had been for information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been for technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been for money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been for pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. And so God sent us a Savior. 2,000 years ago, the angel rang out a message dispatched by God Himself. The birth announcement was like no other. A Savior is born. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and yet mankind's need has never changed. There's nothing greater than we need than a Savior. Christmas brings along with it uh, great times of joy, joy to the world. Also brings us lots of family time and lots of laughter. I was uh, reading uh, this week, or I saw a little YouTube uh, video clip a couple of minutes or a minute or so, and this little toddler um, was up on some stage, some church, uh, along with the rest of them, got in her mind that she was going to go over there, and she ran over there and took Jesus out of the manger and ran off with Jesus. (laughs) I tell you what, I laughed, thought, man, I guess if you're going to run off with anybody, that's a good one to run off with. But um, three small boys were at a Christmas play at school. They represented the three wise men. They were come to give their gifts to baby Jesus. The first boy stepped forward and held out his gift in his hands and said, gold. The second boy stepped forward, held out his gift and said, myrrh. The third little boy stepped out forward and held his gift and said, Frank sent this. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Well, kids do bring with them great joy, but the greatest joy of all is knowing that we have a Savior. Let's all bow our heads for a word of prayer, if you would, please. Father, we thank you for the great joy you've brought to us this Christmas season. But the greatest thing of all, Lord, is to know that we have a Savior. And I pray that, Lord, that our minds would be focused and gathered together. Our spirits, Lord, would join together in this great praise that a Savior is born. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 2, if you would, please. Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. Just one verse today will be our text verse. We'll visit a few other places to bring some perspective Here the angel is given a message. Go down and tell these shepherds. Shepherds, yes, shepherds. Go tell these shepherds this news. Let's all read verse 11, if you would. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Ready, begin. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Here's a group of... (coughs) excuse me, blue-collar ranchers who are pulling the night shift. Those uh, sheep need to be looked after. 
never know if some wolf or something's going to come along. They were not far from the town of Bethlehem. An angel was dispatched by God the Father. You need to go tell these guys an announcement. Why shepherds in the middle of their work shift needed to hear a baby announcement? I'm not sure. But that's God. He always doing something very unique. It's unique in that they were not sent to maybe the theologians or the chief priests or some religious leader. It was unique in that it wasn't given to some political leader. No, I don't think they might have been as prepared as these good, hardworking men, probably believers in Jehovah God. When the angel shows up, it says that they were afraid, the verse before that, startled. They had a healthy fear of God. This birth of a baby, as incredible as it is to ever have a baby born, this was so much more. A Savior <coughs> is born. More accurately, uh, a Savior is revealed or a Savior has come. Jesus did not have His start in Bethlehem. No, that's just when Jesus stepped out of glory and He came into this world through a virgin. Now, the world this morning laughs at that idea, primitive, they say, medieval, superstitious, that somehow the uh, Savior came through a virgin. But the truth is the devil hates the idea of a virgin birth because that reveals the true source of who Jesus is. He is, in fact, deity, and it reveals who His nemesis, the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ is. But you know, we don't, shouldn't uh, be surprised that the devil and his enemies would try to make fun of the virgin birth. What I think, however, is surprising is when many so-called Christians doubt the virgin birth. In an interview, a pastor of one of our nation's largest churches was asked this question, what do you believe about the virgin birth? This pastor said this, he said, I could not in print or in public deny or affirm the virgin birth of Christ. When I have something I can't comprehend, I just don't deal with it. Now, was this pastor saying that really the virgin birth is optional? It really doesn't make that much difference? No, the fact is, it is indeed crucial. And Satan knows how crucial it is. Sadly, this concept that sometimes people have that the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is optional or it's not real is nothing new. In the 8th century, anti-Christian cult popularized the idea that in the middle of the night, there were no lights, of course, back then, that a neighbor came in to the bed of Mary and she was already married to Joseph, and she thought it was Joseph, and this was the birth of Christ. Others believe that uh, Jesus was, in fact, just the natural child of Joseph and Mary, and that the fact that Jesus was born of the virgin was just another religious story. Several years ago, a very well-known theological professor and one of the nation's 
most well-known Bible colleges, came out and said it makes no difference if the virgin birth really happened. Now, if a theology professor says that, I kind of wonder when all four of the Gospels, even if it was just one Gospel, but all four of the Gospels, tell us about it. I think it must be pretty important. Of course, there's always been counterfeits. The Greeks have um, their uh, idea of the gods, and they have a similar type thing in the, as the virgin birth. And there's even one legend about Buddha that claims he was miraculously conceived when an elephant entered his mother's belly, and 10 months later, Buddha came forth. Well, the fact is, uh, everybody that says things like this, whether it be some counterfeit or whether it even be some well-meaning Christian who just hasn't thought about it or others who simply attack the validity of Scripture, the fact is, in each case, it is a strategy, a strategy to try to break down one of the most foundational elements of the Christian faith. And once you can get people to doubt that, then there's other things that we might as well doubt as well. Well, let's find out about four glorious truths about the Savior from this verse. First of all, we find a surprising message. Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, a surprising message. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. For unto you... A surprising message born to you. Specifically, I'm sure the shepherds were hearing the fact that because that they were Jewish people, they were part of God's chosen people. They were a small nation and yet uh, blessed by God. Sadly, they were a rebellious people so much of the time. And yet God said to you, a Savior is born. To you shepherds, I'm sure, the message was. Even though you're unknown in this world and even though you're poor, to you as shepherds. He said to you humans, not to us angels, but to you. And so the message is that everything on earth that Jesus came for was a mission about the statement of why he came. In fact, his very name means Jehovah saves. Jehovah saves. This whole message is that people need the Lord Jesus Christ. In this world, we have so much nationalism. In this world, we have so much hatred from one group of people to another group of people. But I will tell you, Jesus didn't come so that he could take sides and say, this nation is better than this nation. Jesus came people to draw people to His side, to draw them to His love. He came for sinful people. In fact, in one instance, He was speaking to the Pharisees, and He said, I have not come to the, call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The message of Jesus Christ is, He came to you. Those shepherds were probably just thinking, what in the world is happening? And the angel said, to you. To you as Jewish people, to you as humans, to you as just simple, hardworking people, to you men, the Savior has come to you. And in that one sentence, to you, 
we find us why he was born, the incarnation, why the virgin birth, and why he lived, and why he died, and why he rose again, and why he ascended to heaven, and why right now he is interceding for us, because he loves people. The whole glorious scheme of the gospel is summed up. Unto you is born. Unto you people. The angels were saying, yes, we see God's glory. We are part of this spiritual kingdom. But the Savior wasn't born for us. He was born for you. We're powerful. You're not so powerful. We live in holiness. You don't live in holiness. And yet the Savior wasn't born for us. The Savior was born for you, people. Years ago, there was a well-known Christian singer by the name of Steve Green. He wrote a song called People Need the Lord. And I think it pretty much says what this verse, this first part of this verse says. Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eye. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries. Only Jesus hears. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, He's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. When will we realize people need the Lord? We are called to take His light to a world where wrong seems right. What would be too great a cost for sharing life with one who's lost? Through His love, our hearts can feel all the grief they bear. They must hear the words of life only we can share. People need the Lord. A surprising message. Jesus came to people. Sometimes, you know, the ministry can be kind of challenging. and uh, It's usually not some issue with a building or an issue with some, uh, you know, other kind of thing that we can, tangible thing. It's usually people things. I told somebody once, tongue-in-cheek, I said the ministry would be easy if it wasn't for people. And uh, but, you know, that's our job. The ministry is about people. And that's what our job was to do. People need the Lord. 2017 has been an amazing, tragic year, really, for California with all the wildfires. Never in the history of our state have there been so many wildfires. Not too far from here. People in our own church affected. But uh, thousands of uh, people were mis- uh, uh, displaced out of their home, many, many structures, and needless lives were lost. And Southern California is still uh, raging there. They think they're getting a handle on it. But, you know, this, uh, this just reminds me, imagine for a few moments of the people that were called upon, the responders, to go to those areas and tell everybody, you need to evacuate. You need to leave your home. And uh, they drove up and down those streets in Napa, those streets in Santa Rosa and Sonoma and those areas down in Southern California and Carpinteria and Santa Barbara and those areas, driving up and down the streets saying, you need to evacuate. The fire is coming. People need to pay attention because there is a fire coming. That reminds me of what our job is to do. Our job is to say, like the shepherds were told by the angel, people need the Lord. Unto you a Savior come. You are getting ready to burn, and if you don't have a Savior, you're in trouble. And that's what our job is to do the same in, 
in 2018, may we be more vigilant than ever because the time of Christ's return draws so close. We first of all see a surprising message that Jesus came not for the righteous. He didn't come for just one group. He came for all human beings, a surprising message unto you. Number two, notice secondly, a stunning mystery. The second part of that verse says, for unto you is born. For unto you is born this day. Born. Now, if a Savior is going to come and He's going to step out of glory, then I wouldn't imagine He'd come through the womb of a woman. Can you imagine? Uh, it, <laughs> we would think, well, if a Savior is going to come, He's probably going to come with His swords and He's going to come to this earth and there's going to be all the accolades that come with a king, you know, when these entourage. I read the other day that when the king of Saudi Arabia went to Brussels there for uh, the big uh, meeting they had, uh, just the one king of Saudi Arabia rented the entire big giant uh, hotel there, every floor. He had an entourage of something like seven, eight hundred people that came with him. Security guards and publicists and people that would cook for him and drivers and people who did IT work. And I mean, six or seven hundred people just for an earthly king. We're talking about a heavenly sovereign. And he came to earth through a womb of a woman. Unbelievable. What a stunning mystery this is. Born of a woman. But not just any woman. This woman had never even been married, never been with a man. In fact, back in chapter 1 of the same book, the book of Luke, when the angel told Mary she was going to be with a child, she couldn't believe that. She said, that's not, gonna, it's not possible. I, I'm no scientist, but I know a little bit about biology. I'm not going to be able to have a child. I've never been with a man. And in verse 35, the angel answered that which is born of thee shall be called the Son of God. God is going to move on you and you are going to have a child. She said, how could this be? Luke, Pastor Luke quoted it so wisely a few moments ago, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Now I can say amen to that. The virgin birth doesn't depend upon my understanding for its validation. There's a lot of things we don't understand, but with God nothing is impossible. We're here this morning, and we might understand some things, but we just go ahead and believe them. Take the compound of water, for example. It is the most basic and abundant compound known to mankind. It makes up most of the earth's surfaces, and it also is the largest proportion of our body is water. But actually, water is unique in that it doesn't behave like any other chemical. People say, well, it's hydrogen and it's oxygen. Well, okay. But why doesn't it behave like hydrogen and oxygen? For example, typically when matter that is liquid fills uh, something, it is uh, less volume rather than more in its liquid form. But when you take water and you freeze it into a solid, it actually... It actually um, increases. 
it gets bigger. There's no chemical like that, that it gets bigger once it freezes. And you know that it gets bigger because you've ever taken a, a bottle of, uh, or a can of Coke and you put it in the freezer just to, for a few minutes, you know, you, I'm just going to leave it there and uh, we're going to let it get cold and you come back a couple hours later, oh, why did I do that? Because the water in that expanded it. It was able to be in that can, but it expanded and it, it blew up. Why does ice float? There's no other substance like that where in its frozen version, it is lighter than in its liquid version. They, we know surprisingly little about water and what its properties are. For example, they still don't understand why actually ice is slippery. Why is it that when water becomes frozen, it becomes the same chemical, hydrogen, oxygen, why does it become slippery? Or why is it that hot water freezes faster than cold water? If you take a glass of hot water and a glass of cold water, you put it in the freezer, the one that is the hot water actually freezes faster. Now, scientists with all of their um, things behind them, they still really don't know the answer to all these things. And yet, I'm still going to drink water, amen? I'm still going to go ahead and accept it and say, you know what, I don't understand it, but I'm thankful for it. Like the old country boy said, I don't understand how a brown cow can eat green grass and give white milk. And then later it becomes yellow butter. <laughs> but I'm going to put butter on my biscuit, amen? There's a lot of other things we don't understand, but we still experience. I don't understand electricity, but I'm not going to sit around in the dark until I do. People say, well, how is it possible? I just don't believe that a baby could, uh, God could come inside of a woman and be born. Well, it may be a biological impossibility, but with God, all things are possible. God is not bound by the laws that He Himself has created. The fact is, if you, get, if you can understand and agree with creation, then everything else is a walk in the park. That's a fact. Because uh, if you believe in, that God created this earth, then the virgin birth should be no problem to you because God created everything. I like what 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Paul, writing to Timothy and to those believers, he said, I, uh, there is no question that it is a mystery. It is a stunning mystery how that God could be made manifest in the flesh. But folks, we don't have to understand the virgin birth, nor even do we have to uh, simply explain it. Because if we can't even, we can't explain God, so how can we ever explain the virgin birth? No, it's a mystery. I like what Evan, Evelyn Underhill said. She said, if God were small enough to be understood, He would not be big enough to be worshipped. <laughs> So it is a surprising message, yes, that God would come to humans. Unto you is born this day. Unto you, you humans. But not just humans, you men, you hardworking, you Jewish men. God is born to you. He didn't come to the theologians of the day. He didn't come to the political leaders of the day. He came to you. You it is a surprising message that of all the people in the world, people need the Word. 
It is also a stunning mystery. It is beyond our comprehension that he would be born, not coming with his entourage, but he was born as a baby, come to the womb of a woman, a stunning mystery. Third of all, we see a saving ministry. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, friend of you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. A Savior. His ministry was that of saving. The incarnation was a reminder that we needed saving. God being made flesh. God had to put on flesh. It was necessary so that you can I be saved. Think with me for a few moments and track with me through Scripture. God gave Adam and Eve dominion in the Garden of Eden. They sinned and lost that dominion. They forfeited it and they turned it over to Satan. Rather than be the servants of God, they became the servants of Satan. And ultimately, the entire human race was infected and affected by their sin. Our dominion was lost by a man, M-A-N, a man. Our dominion can only be returned to us through a man who conquered death. And that man is the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us today are either represented by Adam or by Jesus Christ. In Adam, all die. In Jesus, all live. Jesus Christ, who has been called the last Adam, was born of a virgin to undo what the first Adam and the and first woman, what they did against us. The Bible clearly teaches that the wages of sin is death. And the reason for that is because there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Sin must be paid for. The sin that is on every human must be atoned for. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So there must be blood shed. But how can God shed blood? That doesn't make sense. He is a spirit, the Scripture says. He is, has no boundaries. He, he's omniscient and He is omnipresent. And how could something like that actually have blood? And so God stepped down. He took on flesh so that he could have blood. You'd say, well, how could God have blood? I like what Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He said, feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. But how could, but the blood that had to be shed had to be more than just human blood. It had to be divine blood. It had to be human blood in that it was real, but it had to be powerful in that it was God. The parents of Jesus Christ were, uh, the earthly parents of Jesus were fully human. The, uh, but we know in fact that Jesus uh, 
was uh, put there inside of uh, Mary. And this little, this little baby that came was flesh and blood. And so it is a, an amazing ministry that Jesus came for. He came, he was born to die. Every time we see the manger, we think of the manger, we look at it as a, a life, we think of it as uh, the cradle of something wonderful, and it is. But at the same time, we should ever look at the cradle without seeing the cross, because he was born to die. He had to take on blood so that it could be shed, because without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sins. What Adam lost for us in the Garden of Eden, Jesus won for us on the cross of Calvary. He did that because he shed blood, but it was not just any blood. It was perfect blood. It was divine blood. It is a known fact that, you know, a, uh, a baby can have different blood than the mother. In fact, many times uh, if there's a, a lawsuit about the paternity of a child, they will take that baby's blood and they will be able to indicate whether it is uh, that certain man's child. Because uh, that little baby inside of the mother has different blood. This is a different human being. I always uh, hurts me and grieves me at the same time when I hear people say, well, a woman's body is her own choice. And she can make a choice about her own body. Well, that might be true. But a baby is not her body. <laughs> That baby has different blood, has a different blood type. It's not her body. She doesn't have that right. And here, this little baby that was in Mary had different blood. It was unique blood. It was still blood, but it was different. It was so that we could have the shedding of blood. It didn't have a taint of sin in it. No sin in this blood. No other blood like this one. Jesus Christ was born of a woman. If his parents had been Mary and Joseph, he would have been human. But God is God in human flesh. He is not half God and half man. He is the God-man. He is not all God and no man. He is the God-man. He is not all man and no God. He is the God-man. He's 100% God and 100% man in the same person. He is, there is something unique. There's something so stunning. There's something so incredible. There's something so, uh, this whole life is made to save people. His entire life, he was birthed so that he could save another person. Sometimes uh, a family will have a child who needs a kidney or a transplant. And sometimes they will then give birth to another child who, that that child can actually give that kidney someday. They birth with a purpose. It is conceived with a purpose. It is made for a purpose. And it is a purpose to save another life. That's what is so surprising about this message that it was to humans. That is what's so stunning about the way it's done. It came through a, a, a woman. It came as a child. 
And that's what's so amazing about the ministry of Jesus. From the time he was a little child, he knew what his goal was. He knew what he came for. He knew that he would someday die on the cross. And that's why the prophet in the Old Testament said he set his face as a flint. He set his face as a flint. You could look in his face and you could see there came a moment in his ministry when he knew it was time. It was the Father had called him, and he knew it was a, it was, he, was on a, he was on a railroad track, and this thing was going to smash, but he was there for a purpose. It was, his whole ministry was about saving people. Unto you this born, this day in the city of David, a Savior. His whole life was, came so that he come so that he could save people from their sins. And then finally this morning, a settling Messiah. A settling Messiah. Not only a surprising message and a stunning mystery, and his whole ministry was about saving, but finally, he settled it all when he came as Messiah. It says, which is Christ the Lord. Interesting, this is the only time in Scripture where that particular phrase is used. He is Christ, which means anointed. He is the Lord. He is Christ the Lord. Who is this baby? Yes, he's virgin born. Who is this baby? Is he God? Yes, he's God. But he is at long last the promised Messiah. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 8. Hebrews 1 and verse 8. Speaking to the Son of God. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God. What? The Son is God. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God. Thy throne, O God, is forever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Jesus is the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. He has come as Christ, the anointed one. He has come. Finally, there is one who can save people from their sins. The little baby lying in a manger, wrapped in (laughs) swaddling clothes, (coughs) with his little dimpled feet, touching that straw, is the same one who made the straw in Genesis chapter 1. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word's just another name for Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus, He made the manger that He laid in. Jesus, He made the straw that He laid on. He made the cloth that they wrapped him in. He made the wood from the tree. He spoke those trees into existence that would at some time be his place of death. Jesus did not begin with Mary at Bethlehem. He was ageless with the Father in heaven. He was born as an ageless one. He was older than his mother the moment he was born. 
The Messiah has come to reign and to settle everything. Our Savior has finally come. Jesus is going to make His way to Jerusalem. Someday, Jesus is going to come. And when He comes, He's going to step into Jerusalem and He's going to come to the Mount of Olives and He's going to put His foot down there. The Bible said it's going to cleave there. And He's going to come and Jerusalem will be the capital of the world. As I said a few weeks ago, when our president proclaimed, which should have been already a done deal, but when our president proclaimed that we as United States of America officially recognize that Jerusalem is in fact the capital of Israel. It sent shockwaves through the billions, especially in the uh, Muslim world. But the fact is, he just said something, whether he really knew it or not. Our president said something that was absolutely biblical. Yes, Jerusalem is not only the uh, capital of Israel, but the, in fact, we're told in the, uh, in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation and throughout the Old Testament, it is the center of the world. It is why we sing about Jerusalem. It is why we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's why it's called the city of peace, Jerusalem. It is the city of peace. But someday Jesus is going to come and he's going to, as a savior, he's going to step into Jerusalem and he's going to solve all the world's problems. He's going to do that because of his ministry. He's going to do that because of his message. The message that he came to humans, to people, to the Jewish people, to all people, the Gentiles, to the poor and his stunning mystery of the way that he came and his ministry of salvation. That's what he came for. People say, oh, I think we ought to preach peace. I think we ought to preach is Jesus. And peace comes when you get Jesus. People say, oh, I, we ought to, you know, work for peace. No, I think we ought to work to get everybody the gospel. And then peace comes because of that. His ministry was a saving ministry. I'm all for helping the poor, but the ministry should be saving the poor. I'm all for helping everybody that has needs, but the fact is our greatest need is Jesus Christ. It was a surprising message. It was a stunning mystery. It is a saving ministry. And thank God, it is a settling Messiah. It's finally settled. And that day when he comes, and he comes to Jerusalem, and he comes there, and that day seems like it is so soon. In fact, this message series that we're about to begin, the subtitle is The Future Is Now. I mean, reading the book of Revelation, reading the book of Daniel, reading the book of Ezekiel, and reading the book of Jeremiah, when you read these books together now, the future, what seemed to be future is now. But the fact is, it is a settling ministry that finally a Messiah has come. People think that this person or this person is going to be the leader. Thank God a Messiah has come. If our greatest need had been for information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been for money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been for pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent a Savior. The message is clear. The, the proclamation has been spoken. A Savior 
is born. A Savior is born. There have been great teachers. There have been wonderful people who've made a great effect on this world. But there's only been one Savior. A Savior is born. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.